you really mustn't, darling. I... What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Can I Comment? I'm Michael. And I'm Jake. And uh, man, this is going to be a really good episode. We sit down this week with Landon McDonald, who um, is just it was it was a great guy to have on. Absolutely. Had a wide ranging conversation, mm-hmm. a lot of different subjects. Started out with some toxic theology and just let it develop from there. Yeah, it kind of went all over the place in like a really good yes. in a really good I think we landed way. in Afghanistan. Yeah, we ended up talking about Afghanistan. Landon is um man, he's a phenomenal Bible teacher, uh phenomenal content creator, author. Uh I believe his YouTube channel is Pastor Landon. Uh he's a teaching pastor at a church in Arizona and is just honestly puts out so much great content around scripture. Um, So make sure that you check him out. And hey, before we jump into this conversation, do us a massive favor. Would you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify? Would you leave us a review? Would you leave us a rating? And then would you subscribe? Also, you can follow us on Instagram at la.church. And uh, so many exciting things. There's a lot of exciting things coming up for for the podcast. We've got some great, uh, great guests coming on and then um, just some cool changes that we're going to be making here over the next couple of months. So make sure you uh, subscribe so you don't miss anything. Well, we're going to jump into this conversation with Landon McDonald, and we will see you back here next week. Landon McDonald, um, thanks for being on today, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I, I love this. Landon, you know, when you reach out to people to be on the podcast, 99% of the time, they're like, absolutely, because they just, you know, and I loved Landon's response. It was, can I listen to some episodes first? <laughs> In other words, like, let me make sure you guys see if crazy. I really want to do this or not, which I, I thought was, was awesome. Um, so Landon, tell us a bit about you, man. So you're a pastor, you are a professor at Theos U, and then you're, you're a, would you consider yourself a YouTuber? Because you put out a lot of really great content on, on YouTube. Thanks. Thank you. Um, I am a Christian. Um, I'm a teacher. And so I, I look for uh, avenues and spaces to be able to teach people things and so the ways that that has kind of come about for me is working in a church and I get to teach my church here. I teach the all church Bible study and I teach our youth. We have four um, youth ministries here and I teach for Nathan and Gabe and whatever insanity they are doing for Theos U. I like doing that. That's fun. Um, and then I, I do, I teach on YouTube as well. It's a great, YouTube is a great space to do short and long form content, which is one of the reasons I like it so much. What have you found people are really interested, like, like what do people seem to gravitate to on YouTube? People seem to gravitate to really inane, pointless things, which is one of the things that's difficult about being a teacher on YouTube because the algorithm would bless me if I did mm-hmm. like, is Kanye West saved type yeah. of content, but that yes. type of content is useless. It's worse than useless. It's, it's bad. It, it, <laughs> right. it, move, it moves the dial backwards. And so in that sense, it's it's interesting because you kind of like do some research on the algorithms and you're like, I know that a video like that would hit pretty good, but I don't want to do it because I don't think it's beneficial to the body of Christ in, ge- in, general, in general to do that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even realize until like we kind of started doing this and I started going down the rabbit hole of like the Christian YouTubers that you never would have heard of that have hundreds of thousands of subscribers and hundreds of thousands of video views. And I was like, man, I didn't even know that these people existed. And there's just like a massive. What are they talking about? Are they They, talking about is is Kanye Kanye West safe? Yeah. Yeah. They talk about that. And is the vaccine the mark of the beast part Ah. seven? Yes. And um, Barack (laughs) Obama is definitely the Antichrist. Yeah. Next video, wait, just kidding. It's Joe Biden or whatever (laughs) they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We do a little bit of stuff on YouTube and uh, haven't really put a lot of focus into it, but we'll just put up, I think we have like maybe 50 subscribers and we put up a video, just a clip that was like, what does God say about UFOs? Yeah. And it was like, whoa, where did all these people come from who are now watching this little clip of us? Talking about talking yeah. absolutely about nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, super interesting. I love that kind of stuff. Like, who are the the amazing people who YouTube knows want 
content at the center of the Venn diagram of God and unidentified flying objects. And exactly. right when they see it, they tap on it. They're like, this is my thing, man. And this then they'll subscribe. It. Then they'll unsubscribe from you and be like, where's all the UFO content? That's what yeah. I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. They, they basically want like a, you know, verse by verse explanation of every, every verse that alludes to a UFO in the Bible. Turn Otherwise, to the book out. of Ezekiel. And let's go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, so speaking speaking of UFOs, no, I'm kidding. Um, but we do we start out most of these um, episodes with a segment, uh, Landon, that we call toxic theology, right? Okay. Not UFTs, unidentified flying theology. Unidentified flying theologians, and because I don't know if you know that, but there's a lot of um, problematic toxic theology out there. I don't know sure. if you know that around the internet and. Um, so basically what we try and do is just identify some of these. Now, we don't want to shame anybody, so we don't necessarily say the accounts that these come from. But basically yeah. what I do is I don't give our guest any heads up and I don't give Jake any heads up. And we just read through a few of these. Uh, just would love to hear you know, you guys' perspective. Um, um, and we, we, we have fun with them. So here's the okay. first one. But really only here for your perspective because my perspective is tired at this point. <laughs> okay. People know. They know your takes. They know your hot takes already. Okay, so this is a fun one. Jesus was Christ. Buddha was Christ. Muhammad was Christ. Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ, and we are the body of Christ. Yeah. Is, do you guys, is there, yeah, you, you guys don't curse on this podcast, do you? <laughs> yeah, you, you certainly can. Uh, Nathan, definitely last time we had him on, what was he talking about? Uh, he, yeah, deleted. wow. <laughs> yeah. So no, we don't curse, but, you but it can... was within a biblical context of David collecting foreskins. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sure. That's it's a literal, a literal bag. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah I maybe, think that that... maybe several. Honestly, if we're talk, be honest, it was probably several bags. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard a great bit from a comedian about the foreskin thing, where he was like, "Do you think? Do you think Saul counted them, or do you think he delegated the job of counting them that he received?" <laughs> Um, he probably counted them. But he looked at the pile and was like, that's definitely more than I expected. If, whether it's 100 <laughs> or not, I don't know, but it's enough. Um, that comment that you read is um, incredibly dangerous and it is demonic in origin. And I don't mean anything about – Christians have a really hard time with the idea that an idea is demonic because immediately what they think is they think right. the only way there could be a demonic idea is a demonically possessed person is verbally saying it. That's not true at all. Any any lie against set up against the knowledge of Christ is, a, is demonic in origin. And that sentence paragraph that you just read is so horrifically demonic that I would not have coffee with a person uh, if they were teaching that because I don't think the New Testament allows space for that, which many people would think is way too rigid. But unfortunately, I'm, you know, I'm happily bound by what the New Testament says about not spending time with false teachers, which the list of what qualifies you as a false teacher is exceedingly small. And that paragraph is one of those things. <laughs> right, right. Do you uh, wish to comment any further on why perhaps we could identify this person as a false teacher? Michael needs um, some con convincing. Yeah, I, I thought this was a pretty good, pretty good <laughs> post, to be honest with you. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> you mean to read it again? No, I've heard it. I've heard you, it before. I, I saw it. <laughs> I saw, saw everybody, doing, I saw everybody doing their like hot take on it and whatever. Yep. Yep. And um, yeah, it's the, the claims of Jesus are exclusive and they're not uh, available for other people to make unless what he said is false. And so the, the idea that who Jesus said he was is available to other people is only available if you don't believe what he said about himself. Right. Well, here would maybe be a good question, Landon. Um, what does the word Christ mean? The word Christ means Messiah. Right. Uh, and what was the Jewish understanding of Messiah? Um, what the whole Old Testament was talking about, the one who was to come. So do you see it, do you see it differently than me? Do you see uh, those people as having potential to be a Messiah for their respective religions without infringing upon what Jesus said about himself? No, not at all. I completely agree with you. I was just trying to ask questions rather than state my opinion <laughs> so that I could draw yeah, my opinion sure. out, out of you. <laughs> yeah, no, cool. I, I was just asking some leading questions to establish the fact that Christ 
um, which I think literally means anointed one, um, mm-hmm. which is synonymous for Messiah, who was uh, individual prophesied in the Old Testament, who would be um, the redeemer of true Israel. Amen. And not this universe and not a thousand pretend universes, all of which I'm sure this person would happily identify also as being the Christ, did that that identification being placed upon a myriad of people ever enter mm-hmm. into um, their frame of reference or their mindset. Yeah. Um, certainly not to people like Buddha or to the, what did he say? The universe is Christ? Yeah, Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ. We are the body of Christ. Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. I mean, it's just intentionally <laughs> confusing and absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so th- that was the only reason I was asking the question, just like maybe it'd be help if we just define the term to show how absolutely ridiculous of a statement that is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that paragraph is something that a person who grew up Christian, who's trying to like shed their Christian roots, says the first time they smoke pot. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's actually funny you say that because one of the comments on said post was a a friend of ours, and I didn't even see this originally, but when I went and found it today, his response comment was, I remember freshman year of college when this thought seemed deep and profound, was the response. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's a a good one. Let me give you guys maybe something that will launch us off into probably more of a of a, a deeper conversation with maybe some application. This one's a little long, so okay. so I can read it a couple times if you if you need. Um, okay, it says this. It says, "Go to church, pray, and read the Bible, but don't do it to earn your way to God. But without quiet time, you're not prioritizing God. Don't do anything out of fear, but also God is judge who will hold you accountable. But remember, He loves you, but makes sure your heart is right." Here's the second part. The mental gymnastics you have to go through to make sure that you are doing things for God for the right reasons is exhausting. The pressure placed on someone to extensively check your heart leads to a very unhealthy relationship with your intuition. Hmm. What a big pile of poo. I know that was a lot, but I think it... That's like saying that me checking my motivation for why I do anything in any relationship is dangerous and toxic to myself. Like that that's like saying, hey, making sure that you have pure motives towards your wife is dangerous and toxic. And that's the silliest, most idiotic idea. People can't seem to wrap their minds around the fact that that God is not an idea of my own making. And I don't get to form and fashion him according to who I want him to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is he is God is spirit. He's real. And God has opinions, I guess, for lack of a better word. And he has a personality and I don't get to make him who I want him to be. And so, of course, if I'm going to be in relationship with a a real other, then of course, my motivation towards how I approach that relationship has to be something that I'm thinking through. And I can't approach God to be manipulative. I can't approach God uh, to get what I want out of him. I have to approach God as I would approach any healthy relationship, um, which is with motivation in check. Um, such an, yeah. It's such an interesting quote. I, I'm so intrigued by people who, you know, follow Jesus or whatever, and then get to a point where they're like, this is difficult. And you're like, who led you to Christ? Who mm-hmm. shared the gospel with you? Which has got me thinking that maybe we should just use the exact words that Jesus used when he invited people to follow him. I've actually considered sharing the gospel and saying, who hates themselves? <laughs> right. Who hates their life? And I don't mean self-loathing. And I don't mean looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, God did a bad job. I mean, who looks at their sin and the things you're in and thinks, I hate this. I want, I want everything except this. You are ready, you know? Or like, like I thought it was interesting when he said that it's, what did he say? That it's exhausting? Mm-hmm. The mental gymnastics. I think it was a she. Was it a she? Uh, yeah, it's a she. Yep, yep. The mental, the mental yeah. The mental gymnastics you have to go through to make sure you're doing things for God for the right reasons is exhausting. Well, if you're exhausted by that, you don't stand a chance when it comes to spiritual warfare. <laughs> right. And if you're exhausted by that, you you may you you have no chance when it comes to drinking the cup of suffering that God has in store for you if you follow him with the fervor that he desires for you. This makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Like it just makes me sad. Like where what what happened to people who are like 
For it has been granted to us that we should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We have people who are professing Christians who are leaning out at the idea of generally checking their motives. Good God, mm-hmm. man. Like mm-hmm. what is a, what will await you on the path of following Jesus is going to be a thousand times more painful, difficult, and exhausting than that. Mm-hmm. And it will be much better. You got you got me depressed, man. Sorry. Hey, read, me, read me some. Read me some Augustine or something. Read me something good. <laughs> um, what were some of the examples that they gave? Go to church, pray, and read the Bible, but don't do it to earn your way to God. Okay. But without quiet time, you're not prioritizing God. Okay. Go to church, pray, and read the Bible. Mm-hmm. But don't do it to try and earn your way to God. Mm-hmm. But also, if you don't do it, you're not what? Uh, if you don't do it, you are not prioritizing God. You're not prioritizing God. Right. Okay. So th- this, I mean, th- the person seems to have an unwillingness. I won't, I won't say an inability because I think an inability um, is too gracious. They have an unwillingness to, to understand the fact that you can be loved and saved by grace, but at the same time, out of that grace, you actually want to invest time into developing a real relationship. And that's what covenant relationship leads to, is actually desiring to spend time developing relationship mm-hmm. um, with the one who saved you. Th- these are not hard concepts. These are not hard ideas. They're not even really all that challenging. Um, th- these are like basics of Christianity. Mm-hmm. But I-, I guess in in a world where we don't like any expectation being put upon us, it's really hard for people to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you why do you think that it's so easy and has become so easy for people to, I mean, literally read this stuff? on the on a surface level and kind of look at it and go oh i agree with that people that have been in churches that have grown up in churches that have been following jesus because we I, I i we read them not to sort of to mock them but but really just because i think these are things that although to us seems like oh nobody actually thinks that we're, we're, um, I mean, we are kind of mocking them, but like if you look at the example here like that okay so that got seven thousand seven hundred and ninety eight ninety two likes right so yeah I mean, I think the reason why people like content like that is because everyone wants to follow Jesus when he's healing people of epileptic seizures, and no one wanted to follow Jesus when he was on the cross. Right. So it's just to me, and I'm not making any indictment of the person who wrote it. I have no idea who wrote it. I've never heard that quote before. I'm more talking about the general sense that I get from it, Mm -hmm. which is that I um, feel and see like... I have a great sadness when I read the parable of the soils because so many people get and receive the word of Christ and they are the rocky soil, which is when trouble or trial comes about, they burn up because they have no root. There are, if, if Jesus' parable is taken as any type of mathematic uh, equation of any kind, then a quarter of the people who hear the word truly follow it. I don't think that's what he was going for, but if you take it as a rough guideline, the amount of people that exist in our world right now who grew up going to Christian school and don't love God and are self-professed atheists, hate church, hate God, hate the idea of God. I mean, spend a couple hours and go on Reddit and go to some of these atheist threads ex-Christian threads. It's a really good thing for pastors to read. There is a lot of people who've been at our churches and hung out with our people and think that we are completely wasting our time. And they love they love quotes like this because it underlines their worldview. Mm-hmm. How would you um, describe that worldview? There's There's so many people who grew up Catholic, who grew up Christian, who grew up... Cons- I, I have met so many people and seen so many people on Reddit because I've spent a lot of time on there reading their comments because I'm very curious about how they view the world and why it is that so many people grew up in church and not only don't believe in it, but actually want to partake in the disassembling of it right. um, from the outside. It is... I don't, I don't know specifically, but I know the types of views that they hold, which is, you know, church is a waste of time. It didn't help me. People there weren't loving. 
from I'm gay and I want people to approve of that type of worldview all the way over to like, I listened to a lot of sermons and never became a better person. And so it's all Mm -hmm. stupid and pointless. Mm -hmm. And then this new world order and the internet has allowed these types of people to find each other and create this like hive mind of aggression and passive aggression that is just, it's really remarkable. Mm -hmm. Would you say that it is the outgrowth of the postmodern mind? Because I know, like I I listen to smarter people than me talk about, and it sounds like such a basic thing, but they talk about how, how things like critical theory have seemingly so suddenly hopped out of the academy where they were, where, where those ideologies were basically kind of trapped for decades, but have hopped out so effectively. And one of the things that they connect that to is um, just what you were talking about in terms of the hive mind of the internet and yeah. uh, people can find each other quite easily now. And then these ideas can can spread and move out of the academic space into the more popular space. Yeah, I think that it's a great question. I think that people have the um, wrong belief process that is if you have experienced something and your experience is accurate, then your remedy for the problem is also accurate. And that's not true. So just because a person went to a conservative Christian school and got spanked like I did when I was eight for not finishing my homework, I could take that story and then tell people on the internet that that means that God isn't real. Real. Mm-hmm. And because I had an experience that they disagree, that they think is bad, that I also think is bad, they would then think because he had that experience, he is authoritative in saying what the actual solution is to that problem. And that's not accurate. That's not even, I don't even think that's intellectually honest. I had a bad experience at my doctor's office today. I don't know how to, I don't know how to fix it. I don't even know what the problem is. Just because I have a bad experience that is true doesn't mean that I in any way have any semblance of an understanding of how to fix it. And so then you get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who've been forced into hyper-intense Christian education, which I think is the breeding grounds for a lot of these people, which is why I personally, no offense to anyone, if you're in Christian education, I love you and praise God for you. But I think that forcing people between the ages of 12 and 18 to sit in a Christian classroom every day, if they don't believe in it, is detrimental to them um, and their viewpoint of that faith system. And so Mm -hmm. there are hundreds of thousands of those people and there you have it. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think that that's a, that, that group of people, I think, and I don't know maybe if it's been just me noticing it more over the last 18 months or two years, like has, has this, for lack of a better term, faction of people come out of nowhere or has it already, has it always been there and they've now just found each other? Um, Like, I think I think we think about that a lot is like, I read a stat recently that was like, I think it's like some people are estimating that by the year 2050, 40 million millennials and Gen Zers who grew up in faith will have walked away from faith, right? Which in like our minds, pastoral mind can lead to like panic mode. So sometimes I go between like, wow, this is a really big deal. This is growing fast. More people are adopting this way of thinking. And then also the other side of just like, ah, people have just always been this way. They've just now found a place to all collectively get together and have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, do you guys think that this is um, growing quickly or is it now just people well, have found each other? I, I think for at a real baseline, this issue is as old as Christianity itself. I think of when Paul says Demas has fallen in love with this present world. Yeah. Um, It's, this is not a new problem. And I think that as Christianity itself has grown, so also has the room for people to dissent um, grown as well. And Jesus talked about this as well in the parable of the wheat and tares, right? Like he, he gave us the expectation that in Mm -hmm. the church, there would be true and false believers until uh, the end. And so I, even on, I, I think we should take it a step further. And rather than being intimidated or nervous about, you know, a, a, a loud set of voices on Reddit or wherever else diagnosing issues with Christianity, I think we should also just say, well, those people are also sitting in our services on Sundays as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are true and false believers in the church. And some people are there for, you know, the quick fix. Some people are there to feel better about themselves. People are there for various reasons. And then there are lots of people there that are there because they really love Christ and um, they want to follow him. So I just think at the end of the day, this reality has always been the reality. It'll always be the reality until Mm -hmm. the very end. And I think we're, we're far, we're far better off understanding that, that those who are in the hands of the Lord 
will not be so easily fumbled if fumbled mm-hmm. at all. And there's there's always just like there will always be, always be false believers. There's always going to be true believers, and so those are the ones mm-hmm. that we build alongside. Those are the ones that we build upon, and that Jesus is building upon as He builds this church. Mm-hmm. So those are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, and I think that we're products of the Reformation, which was very helpful in terms of people's desire, theologians' desire to say, this is exactly what it means to be saved. And this is exactly what happens the moment that you're saved. The problem with that is if people intellectually consent to those things, we immediately bestow upon them the designation of Christian. But all of us know, anyone who's been a youth pastor knows, and all of us who are pastors know, that everyone who raises their hand at a service doesn't mean that they're going to choose to follow Christ in their life. What that means, I don't know. Did they walk away from their faith? Did it never exist? I don't know. But we're so quick to hand out this word, you are a Christian now. And I think that people should, the word Christian is only in the New Testament twice. The, The term is follower of Jesus, follower of the way, follower of the way of Jesus. And so I just have thoughts like that. I just have thoughts like why after a 25 minute sermon and people like said some words and raised their hand, am I telling them you're a Christian because of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe all of that. But I also believe everything that you said, which is there's a ton of people who've said prayers like that and have never actually chosen to follow Christ. And so I just wonder about things like that. And I think that's okay. I think you can hold those things in intention and um, let the truth bear out over time. It, even in the the parable of the soils that you reference, when um, you, you have the the one soil that receives the seed and the, and the seed plants and prospers, um, but then you have the seed where uh, I think it's the rocky soil where Jesus talks about um, how the word is initially received with joy, and so mm-hmm. there's the there's kind of that immediate outer evidence of the, oh this person yeah. is is taking the gospel seriously, kind mm-hmm. of like the people who followed Jesus initially took it seriously, and then one day Jesus decided it would be a great idea to preach a sermon on eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and a lot of people didn't want to follow him anymore. Yeah, but Jesus let the truth do the deciding. Um, so he didn't all of a sudden, he didn't come in and do some harvesting and say, okay, I know yeah. that you're a true believer and, and you guys are false over here. So I want you to stop following me. He just continued to preach the truth and then yeah, the truth wow. did the deciding for him. So I think that's our role as pastors. Uh, and Jesus is very clear in that parable of the wheat and the tares. He's like, don't, don't try to separate too soon. Cause what will happen in that is undoubtedly you'll, you'll harm believers in the process. Um, mm-hmm. and I think our, our, uh, our judgment in that is imperfect and we're best to leave that judgment to the Lord. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we are called to be uh, uh, practitioners of the gospel, which means proclaiming grace and truth. So um, that's where I kind of net out on it. And I'm, I'm kind of okay living in the tension. Like it doesn't bother me really to know that in any given church on any given Sunday, there's a mixture of people in there. And Mm -hmm. I think we just keep preaching the truth and, um, disciple people the best job we can. I, we, Michael and I've been talking a bit about the uh, the hand raising thing, um, all to call in in recent weeks. And my, my feelings on it are: I think that there's some good that comes with giving people that moment to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And I think acting in good faith that the person is sincere in their decision uh, mm-hmm. is a, is appropriate. Um, yes. But but then dive straight in. Cool. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think for us, that's yes. been the big thing is like, what is the, what does the follow-up look like? What does the discussion um, and the teaching sound like after somebody chooses to follow Christ and and before when you're calling them to it? Because um, I think that's where things kind of get parsed out and then you learn if somebody is truly sincere. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. How do you guys do the follow-up? Well, I mostly can't even get anybody to raise their hand at the end of a sermon. So follow up <laughs> isn't super necessary. That's really why I'm rethinking the whole thing. Yeah. Every time I try, I can't seem to. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, I think for, for us, it's just a general ethos over the last uh, 18 months of reconsidering how we approach assimilating people into the family of God um, mm-hmm. as it exists through our local church expression. And so we, we, where we may be in an, in uh, a couple of years ago would have been more susceptible to, um, I guess to use your terminology of like prematurely identifying people as, um, mm-hmm. as not as Christian, but as like, um, committed, you know, sure. and measuring that by like, are they willing to hop on a team and you know, whatnot. Sure. I think now we're a lot more slow going in terms of teaching what we believe, um, and making sure that there's no confusion around those sorts of things. Um, 
and just I think in general taking our time and I suppose kind of what I said before, yeah. just letting the truth um, net people out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think it's worth? And Landon, I ask because you've obviously we just talking about YouTube these kinds of things. I mean, obviously we're reading we're reading these tweets and Instagram posts and now determining like what is the conversation around this kind of stuff. And obviously you putting out a lot of content. What do you think in terms of like um, you know you mentioned one of them we saw you know yeah i saw that tweet and i saw all the hot takes do you think those do you think those things are are part of the way to combat some of that stuff or do you think that is um like where do you think we we need to respond in some of this stuff say that again i didn't quite follow well so i guess i'm, I'm let me let me try and be a bit clear. So like we're we're now talking about people in our churches are seeing these kinds of posts and right. tweets and mm-hmm. Instagrams and I think uh for a lot of us our initial reaction is to like okay, I want to I I want people to know my hot take on why this isn't right. maybe the right way to think or yeah. why we need to be thinking better or differently about it. Um which I think is really easy low-hanging fruit, yeah. you know, to respond to that. What do mm-hmm. we think our role is in aggressively responding to these kind of things versus um kind of sitting back, taking our local church context into perspective and just kind of like teaching what we believe on Sunday mornings. Because I often wonder about that, you know, right. like, do we respond to this kind of stuff or do we just kind of like ignore it and kind yeah. of just like put our head down and keep doing what we're doing? Yeah. What do you yeah, think? Wow. Yeah. I definitely think the tension between Jesus saying, you know, judge not lest you be judged and Paul saying, is it not within the church that we are supposed to judge? So as a pastor, I'm thinking like, has this idea infiltrated people's minds that are under my shepherding and care? If so, it needs to be addressed. If it's more the idea, you know, I I think that, yeah, I think that that needs to be addressed either by general teaching or by specific comment. What do you think? I I agree with you. I think any pastor is paying attention to their um, church can tell what ideas are are seeping into the mind of the church collectively, um, Mm -hmm. or at least broadly. Um, and so I think you can decide based upon that what to and what not to speak to. I, I do think, though, on the on the other side of the coin, I think we've made overuse of the idea of nuance. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the uh, one of the faults of Christian leadership um, in recent history is that we nuance people into ignorance. And mm-hmm. so we're we're very quick to assign the um, we're very quick to assign to something that this is oh it's a really nuanced subject which I think a lot mm-hmm. of times is absolutely true but we use it as an excuse not to be clear and not to be direct yeah. about what is awry yeah. in any given topic. I was told a story recently that I thought was really fascinating. Um, a friend of mine's uh, uh, a friend of a friend his friend texted him that I guess he went to Bible college with who is now I think deconstructed and is an atheist. Um, uh, but he had stumbled across a podcast of a, uh, a fairly well-known pastor who's, um, like uh, we would know is like conservative in their, in their theology. Um, but this friend of his had texted him and said, Hey, check out this. I found this pastor, super progressive, affirming the whole deal. And, uh, here's mm-hmm. his podcast. <laughs> and it was like, not at all what his friend had thought it was right. in terms of what this guy believed. Um, <laughs> Hmm. But I think just because of maybe the language this person was using or the tone in which they were using it. I don't know why, but yeah. I, I think we just we nuance we're overly nuanced sometimes so that people are not really sure about kind of what we think. And I think it's, it happened on a broad sure. scale in the church, you know, even when it comes down to the issue of um, of a biblical sex ethic. Right. Like, sure. uh, I think like two, two and a half years ago, we just put up on our website what we believe about sex and marriage, because I'd rather just be honest and upfront with people so that they know before they step foot into our church, mm-hmm. what they can expect yeah. from us. And that way they don't get yeah. six months down the line for like, oh, we tricked them because we are, um, you know, like whether it's like the belong before you believe thing or, yeah. or like everybody's sure. welcome. Even that simple statement, which I think comes out of a good place, mm-hmm. um, can actually lead to some confusion. And it's, it's like I said, like we kind of just nuance people into ignorance about what truth really is. Mm-hmm. Um, because maybe we're afraid of offending or, or maybe we have a real missional heart. And so we want to reach lost people. Um, but they kind of stay lost because we <laughs> didn't, didn't turn on the light. Um, so yeah, I sure. guess that's, that's a yeah. long winded answer of just saying like, um, I don't think we need to speak to every subject, mm-hmm. but certainly there are moments when clarity is really important. Mm-hmm. I agree with you completely. And I, th- I think that what you're saying is really important for intellectual honesty amongst Christians and people who teach. Because the truth is like with 95% of things, there are kind of two ways of looking at it or more, two or more ways of looking at it. And we we can kind of die in our conviction in an effort to 
make things hyper clear that don't need to be hyper clear. And I think we all feel that when there's certain topics that you talk about and you can't even talk about it now without saying dot, dot, dot. Like you can't, you, you feel like you can't even bring up divorce in a sermon anymore without saying, but if you're being treated like this, treated like this, treated like this, you should call the police. Like it's so, mm. I agree with you. It's like the internet joke that says, that a guy wrote, I like oranges on his Instagram and someone commented, I can't believe how much you hate apples that you didn't include them in your post. (laughs) And I think that that is sad and unfortunate and minimizes people's ability to communicate effectively and clearly with conviction, which is unfortunate. Hmm. And I guess as as a pastor, we can probably all identify with that um, that feeling. Mm -hmm. And there's that threshold that you have to be willing to cross to go, this might cost me something or it might might cost me someone. um, Or it might just cost me a hard conversation Mm -hmm. that I have to have after the fact. Mm Um, and that's, yeah, okay. yeah. I had a or hard in my con- case. It might just cost Michael a hard conversation on my behalf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. Cause your emails get directly forwarded to him. Um, exactly. If they contain the following words, bad, sermon, yes, yes. Life. Yeah. Um, I was teaching on Psalms recently and I was talking about the people in Afghanistan who are killing Christians and I was talking about how these are moments where you can pray these imprecatory psalms that are absolutely so intense and much Whoa. more intense. Mm. Than Whoa, hold up. Most Christians would be. What does Im- the word imprecatory mean? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I can't be the only idiot. <laughs> I know exactly what that means. Hold on. Let's stop this so we can explain to you now. <laughs> Landon, please explain it. Imprecatory. Sorry. I use words like that and I think people understand them. It makes me sound like such a dork. I, it, they are the. Call down the fire and judgment on on the enemies of David, Psalms. Mm. The ones where he's like, God, kill them, take care of them, dash their children against the rocks. These, these things that people have a really hard time accepting are in the Bible. And I was like, these are the times where these are good things to pray because our Christian brothers and sisters are being murdered, you know, whilst we think that we're being persecuted because we get honked at while we have a Jesus fish bumper sticker on our car, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so th- then I was just talking about that and it, it's, it was in an, an arena where people were uh, asking questions and this woman was kind of disturbed by what I said and was like, shouldn't we pray for their salvation? And I mean, but like, we don't pray for the salvation of the demonic because mm-hmm. it's too late. And so like, I got what she was saying, but I just think that Christians lose that intensity that the Bible clearly pushes forward as something that's not just necessary, not just important, but necessary in the, in the prayer life of a, of a Christian. Yeah, that's a really interesting mm-hmm. take. There's a couple of thoughts that pop into my mind that I would want to reconcile with that. I think the first thing that pops in my mind is James and John wanting to call down fire um, yeah. upon whatever village it was that that didn't um, receive the message. Um, and then the other thing that pops into my mind is uh, the New Testament instruction to leave vengeance to God. And so I, yeah. and, and I, I recall that one in support of what you're saying in the mm-hmm. sense that um, prayer is is a means of asking God um, yeah. to take vengeance. And then even in a, I guess in a more specific example of that, the book of Revelation, uh, the prayers of the saints that are offered up to the Lord as incense are indeed uh, a specific example of what you're talking about, which is God, when are you going to uh, judge those who are being mm-hmm. evil towards the church? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when are you going to um, get vengeance for the evil that's been done to the body of Christ? So I think there's a, absolutely a New Testament precedent um, mm-hmm. for, for exactly what you're saying. And I, we see that in the book of revelation. How do you reconcile that with Jesus's response to James and John when they want to call down fire from heaven? That it's like not my job to do the Holy Spirit's jobs. So it's not my job to sanctify other people. It's not my job to save other people. You know, it's my job to speak the truth in love and to love people and see what God wants to do. So when it's time to look at a situation where Christians are getting their heads cut off, I, it's, I'm absolutely baffled that someone would look at that and the first thing they would think is, should the guy who's, should the guy who's cutting off their head should we pray for his salvation? No, let's pray that God destroys that person and stops cutting off our brothers and sisters' heads. And if there's time, then let's pray that that person comes to 
faith. And I don't think that it's necessarily mutually exclusive, like I'm saying, but it is baffling to me that a Christian could look at a situation like that and and not first think, God, crush this person for destroying my brother or sister in faith. That really shows how foreign it is to us to think of those people, anyone who's suffering as a true brother or sister in Christ. Because if it was your blood brother or blood right. sister, you yeah. would not hesitate to pray God that. smite them. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. It's time yeah. to bring out, okay, I'm bringing out the word smite. I've only said it <laughs> once. It's time to bring, I've got my King James Version Bible. It's time to open it. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting perspective. I mean, even as I'm listening to you talk about it, it's kind of like it makes you squirm in your seat a little bit. Um, but mm-hmm. it's 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 bringing to the forefront of my mind what I know to be theologically true. Um, yeah. You know, even in a, in a New Testament perspective. Um, and yeah, you're certainly right. I think too, that's one of the things that we miss a lot. Um, particularly in the, in the book of Nath, of Matthew, where I think the term is the least of these is employed, mm-hmm. um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And what's in view there from what I understand pretty well throughout the entirety of the book is, um, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer for the name. And God is going to hold the nations responsible for how they treat the believer. Um, is it Matthew 24 or Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about at the end that the nations will be brought before him and uh, their treatment of believers um, is what's in view there. And they will be judged for that. And that's something that we need to, we probably have a deficient view of God in that regard, in that we don't like to think of God as a judge. Um, but we absolutely must, if, especially if we are genuine in our desire for justice, like we are so used to tweeting about, we must view God um, as a just judge. Yeah. You know how people have like Guns N' Roses t-shirts and people walk up to them and say, hey, name three songs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People should do that to people who are quoting the justice verses from the minor prophets. Be like, okay, I will accept your tweet if right now without looking, you can name anything else about the book of Amos. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's great and not in the message version (laughs) (laughs) give me tell me something about the plumb line bro tell me something about the basket of summer fruit then we're good (laughs) you have a passion for the bible um i do we we should read we have time yeah this is great are you got a few more minutes I'm good, man. I'm enjoying this more than I thought I would, which is not a commentary on you. It's a commentary on how much I enjoy podcasts usually. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a podcaster. You don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to them. It's just when I'm making them, sometimes I feel like I'm saying the same things I always say because people always are like, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I I listen to- I'm trying to keep this interesting. I li- this is great. I love what you guys are doing is what I'm trying to say in a very poor, <laughs> poor way. I love podcasts. I listen to Pete Scazzaro like every single day. Yeah, I love his. His podcasts are great. Mm-hmm. Like he's a Pete Scazzaro fan. I am. I've, I've, I'm an emotionally healthy leader, an emotionally healthy disciple. I have an emotionally <laughs> healthy marriage. I'm an emotionally I'm emo- healthy pastor. At least I've read the books. Whether I'm actually emotionally healthy is yet to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> but I know the content really well. Um, well, I thought you had a few on there, right? That are like about the Bible in general. Cause I think yep. at the end of the day, that's where all of this like comes back to mm-hmm. is how do we view the Bible? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Is it authoritative? Is it not? Yes. Yep. So let's, let's maybe like spend our last few moments talking about that. Yeah. Here's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, here we go. Biblical inerrancy, biblical inerrancy is mostly a modern phenomenon that became prominent due to the Reformation. In ways, this was necessary for the Reformation suddenly put the Bible into the hands of lay people. In a sense, scripture needed to be elevated so that people would actually read it. However, biblical inerrancy has caused havoc in the West. Inerrancy has been used as a tool for colonialism. For this reason, I believe that biblical inerrancy must be rejected. Furthermore, Inerrancy puts the Bible into a category it was never intended to be. Mm, except for all of the church fathers who disagree yeah. with you through and through. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, like, what hubris to think that you're smarter than the vast majority of the church fathers that preceded you. That's so intellectually dishonest. Um Stuff like that makes me sad because I agree with the premise of it. I agree mm-hmm. with the premise that people that are hyper-reformed have treated the Bible the way that Catholics treat communion. I agree mm. with that premise. Mm. 
that there is a sense in which you can take something that is good, wonderful, and amazing and actually push it above where it's supposed to be. I think that that's accurate. The Christian grade school that I went to, we had chapel five days a week. I went there for nine years. I went to 1,800 chapels. I can't mm-hmm. recall a single time the Holy Spirit was talked about, but we talked about the Bible and what it was a lot. Right. And so I think that functionally, we were living in an altered trinity, which is Father, Son, and Holy Bible. If you don't talk Mm. about the Holy Spirit once every thousand sermons, you're not a Trinitarian, regardless of what you consent to or write on paper. Mm. Mm. And so in that sense, I agree. I also think that people's, I believe in inerrancy. So start there. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to, to be a Christian. I believe in it because uh, why not? Because I, I I believe Psalm 19. That's enough for me to believe in inerrancy. I don't need you know a bunch of other things. But that being said, I am really intrigued by what happens when people elevate the Bible even above that to the extent where you get into situations where people actually think that the only truth about a given subject is found in the Bible, which is take mental health. People get to the point with the Bible where they think because the Bible discusses mental health, it is the only book that contains truth about mental health. Right. And if it sounds right. foreign, there are actually people who actually mm-hmm. believe that, and mm-hmm. that hurts people. Mm -hmm. Um, the Bible talks about math and science, but it's not the only container of truth for those things. It also talks about food, but you, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you have a cookbook in your house, right? So I'm against the, I'm against the taking of the Bible and making it into something that it's not, um, that being said, I, I, I want to hear what you you guys think. And I do agree. Uh, I do hold to inerrancy because I'm not a wuss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree with you that you don't have to believe in biblical inerrancy to be a Christian. I think um, I think you need to believe in uh, biblical inspiration. I think at, at a bare minimum that the, sure. the entire Bible is inspired by God. Um, I, I would hold to inerrancy in the sense that uh, uh, I believe that the original manuscripts of the Old and New Testament, as uh, given their in their original form, are um, are inerrant. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the copying of those manuscripts was without error. In fact, they it's proven that they had error. But what we do know for a fact is that uh, we have a hard to fathom, ridiculous amount of confidence about the accuracy of the manuscripts that we have today um, mm-hmm. when it comes to the Bible. And so deeply reliable. Um, and I have no problem calling. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good point. And I think that where your anchor for the Bible lies is the most important thing. If your anchor for the Bible lies in the Bible, you're doing it wrong. Um, I don't believe the Bible because the Bible says it's the Bible. I believe the Bible because I know the author and the author testifies to the Bible. Hmm. All the time I'm reading the Bible and I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit saying, this is true. This is what I want to say. And I just think, wow, this is amazing that I have this. And that's more than enough for me. Um, and that's the reason why I believe that. Hmm. I think you can go deeper than that, though, still in the sense of um, like Jesus. Uh, if, if we do know that, like, for example, the Gospels are uh, a historically reliable uh historically reliable documents um, Mm -hmm. and uh, that the people who wrote them really did live in the first century and Mm -hmm. that their accounts really do have the um, the qualities of an eyewitness account. That means we can take the Mm -hmm. gospel seriously. And if I take the gospel seriously, that means I take Jesus's statement seriously um, that the Old Testament Mm -hmm. was uh, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said that about David when it came to um, the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think the, we can go off more than the fact that when we read it, we ourselves personally know that it's true. I think, uh, mm-hmm. we can look at it objectively and say, um, that this it's is, good. this is true and this is inspired by God and it's, um, it's inerrant and it's original recording. I think the real problem that this person has, and they said it right, is that biblical inerrancy is connected to the woes of colonialism. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just sounds like another way of saying that. Uh, ultimate truth has been used as a means to um, uh, mistreat uh, uh, people. Um, and for certain, sure. without a doubt, I'm, I'm sure, absolutely, there have been numerous uh, moments where um, mistreatment has taken place uh, through 
colonial colonialism. Uh, but you, you can't throw away the idea of objective truth, um, yeah. especially as it's connected to the scriptures, uh, just because there has been abuse um, uh, in, in the past. I think that's a really good nuance on what I said, and I appreciate you saying it, because if it more rounds out the picture, I think, for people who didn't grow up in the environment that I did. I do think it's interesting, though, that only Christians are made to be publicly shamed for what people do when holding the Bible. Mm. Um, I, I've never met a Christian that would say the Crusades were a good idea and all mm. those people were holding the Bible. And yet we have to deal with the fact that people are like, you know, this Christian pastor did this. Mm -hmm. um, when they are disobeying our Holy Scripture, we are made to bear the reproach of their decisions when they're proving that they don't believe or are not currently following it. Whereas in Islam, People obey their holy scripture, do what it tells them to do, and we're told, no, 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 that's a subset. That's a subset of, of radical Islam. And people are made, it's very intellectually dishonest, it's wrong, and even liberal thinkers like Bill Maher call out the actual ab absolute ridiculousness of that take, which most people in modern society believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting as well that um, the the early church fathers absolutely held to the scripture, um, and as we should, like if we're just like honest people, then of course um, I I want to take the word of somebody who actually walked with Christ, mm -hmm. um, and if I'm a Christian, then I I want to really factor that into the way I live my life. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a absolutely. good idea to me, rather than making you know my own version of Jesus up in my own head based upon my postmodern or modern sensibilities. That's right. Awesome. Well, hey, before we um, close, I'm going to put you on the spot, Landon, and just get uh, just a quick thought from you. I want to hear before we close just two things. Obviously, you're pretty, you know, you seem to be somewhat knowledgeable in just the conversations happening around culture and faith online. That's kind of what this podcast exists to do is just connect. Hey, how are we supposed to think about this cultural topic or this worldview to the biblical worldview? So my question for you is, what is one thing uh, kind of in the zeitgeist of the internet conversation around culture and faith? What's one thing that people aren't talking about enough? And what is one thing people are talking about too much? Wow, what an interesting, what a really good question. Um, people are talking about politics too much. Mm -hmm. um, and people aren't talking enough about the fact that at the end of the Great Commission, it says, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. I can't mm. stop thinking about that. And I can't stop thinking about the fact that, that he is explaining how to disciple people. Uh, Jesus is explaining how he did it and how he wants you to do it. And I started going through and, and looking at all the commands of Jesus. I, it's hard to count them all because sometimes he's commanding specific characters things. So there's different counts. But by my count, there's about 65 commands of Jesus. And I'm obsessed with this idea. And I'm obsessed with the idea that that's the easiest and best and most biblical way to start discipling people. Hey, here's 60 things that Jesus said to do. This is what the way of Jesus is. I'm just, I'm, I'm, cause I work with teenagers. I'm so right. excited about this. Really clear. Absolutely. Yeah. Hyper clear. And then fleshing it out from there. I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I think there should be more, um, conversation about that. Mm. Mm. That's really cool. I love that you contrast mm. that with talking too much about politics. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, would you say that we kind of just need to come out of the clutter and just refocus ourselves on, on the main thing? I've been meditating on Psalm 131, which says, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. And then this part, I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. Hmm. And so for all of human history, they didn't have enough information to occupy our minds. Now we have infinite, interesting, hmm. compelling information to occupy our minds. So now we actually have to become intellectual curators for ourselves. And the algorithm wants you to be upset or afraid, and it knows when you are. And so if you're giving those emotions to politics, it's going to keep showing those things to you. God, who would have mm. ever thought you would say that sentence? I know. The algorithm wants you to be upset I and know. afraid, I know. and it knows when you are. I know, but it does. <laughs> 
It does. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, oh man, Landon, thanks for uh, thanks for talking with us today, man. This was a lot of fun. Really good. Thank you guys for doing this. God bless you. It seems like what you're doing is really cool. I hope it helps and blesses everyone at your church and anybody else who's listening. God awesome, you, man. man. Thank you. Where can people find you online? Twitter, Instagram, YouTube? Um, on YouTube, I'm Pastor Landon. On mm-hmm. Instagram, I think just type in my name, Landon McDonald. I think that's it. My TikTok kind of sucks, so I don't even <laughs> want to talk about it. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> At least you have one, bro. I, I don't have. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't even decided. Uh, awesome. Well, man, Landon, thanks a lot. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.